Hello and welcome to this episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you in this session, so stick around and we'll jump right on in. Before we get started this week, I'm proud to announce that Permaculture Magazine of North America has become the first sponsor of this podcast. Incidentally, they've also just celebrated their one-year anniversary this summer. And as the offshoot of the beloved Permaculture Magazine International out of the UK, there is now a regional edition to help strengthen permaculture knowledge throughout North America. This is one of my favorite go-to resources for the latest information on innovation and news in the permaculture world. If you visit permaculturemag.org to sign up for your hard copy subscription today, you'll get the 25-year digital archive of Permaculture Magazine International as a free bonus. And just for listeners of The Abundant Edge, you can now receive 50% off your digital copy subscription right now by finding the discount code in the show notes for this episode. So go now to permaculturemag.org and dive deep into the local and global solutions that go beyond sustainability. My guest today is Hannah Eckberg. Along with being the co-founder, editor, and creative director of Permaculture Magazine of North America, Hannah has also been the president of Get Oil Out, which was recognized as the U.S.'s first grassroots activist organization when she was only 19. Hannah also served as president of the United Hemp Council, promoting the agricultural and environmental benefits of hemp. As a self-described optimizer, she is always looking for ways to make things better and look at them from a different viewpoint. In this interview, Hannah talks about her experiences and lessons as a grassroots organizer and how as an editor, she's now helping to promote positive voices for change and regeneration in the permaculture community and beyond. She also gives invaluable advice on how to make a difference in community organization and empowerment. But better to let her do the talking, so here's Hannah. Hey, Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. We're uh, staying dry for a change here in the rainy season, but I see clouds off in the distance, so that might not last very long. <laughs> How are things where you are? I'm much drier. Currently, I'm in Santa Barbara in Southern California, where we've been experiencing record droughts except for a few storms this last winter so it's uh i envy your rain (laughs) (laughs) well let's hope things improve over there well hey hannah i've got a ton of questions for you so what do you say we just jump right on in excellent all right so before we get into any specifics could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you found your way into the world of permaculture Growing up in Santa Barbara and mostly up at Hollister Ranch, very close to nature and living off the land for the most part, my family was just very intimate always with nature and the connections to it and doing all that we could to to preserve it and when I was probably around 18 or so, My boyfriend at the time introduced me to the concepts of permaculture through the Santa Barbara Permaculture Network and um, Margie and Wes, who have just done such amazing jobs over the years to bring leading permaculture experts 
to the area. And so once I got Bill Mollison's book and started to dive into it, it was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for my whole life. This is connecting the dots. This is providing the solutions and the answers to so many of my questions. So it was really empowering to discover permaculture. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that sort of inspiration once they got in contact with some of the resources and books and, and networks of people that there are out there. Um, so tell me a little bit more about how you grew up in the ranch setting. Were you actually involved in uh, caring for the ranch and doing farm work? Well, I was there very young at the first day. <laughs> um, it, when I was two, my father became manager of the uh, 15,000-acre ranch. Yeah, it's a very large cattle ranch. Yeah, that's and significant. So he managed the entire ranch, and then it's it's divided into 100-acre parcels. And so after a few years, we moved and were just managing a 100-acre parcel. And we had amazing orchards and gardens and sheep and horses and just you know my parents were living the homestead life they didn't really know about permaculture and really connecting all these dots I, I really wish they had it would have been just taken to a whole nother level but my mom made her bread we baked pies it was just really a, a dream situation for most of my childhood until Chevron and other oil companies came and put a very deadly pipeline through the ranch. And so at a very young age, I watched my parents do all that they could to protect the land and the people and everything in the area from this pipeline that shouldn't have gone through. And so that really instilled in me a deep passion for activism as well as really seeing the social injustice that comes along with the fossil fuel industry and experiencing it firsthand really affected the rest of my life. And so it, it um, steered me down this path that's helped me get to where I am now. That's a remarkable story. Now I know that you started out really early in environmental activism uh, I believe as a as a result of this pipeline that went through your land, weren't you just nineteen when you were the president of Get Oil Out? Yeah, I was the youngest president of what is recognized as the oldest grassroots environmental organization in the country, and it was, uh, you know, being both maybe a little naive and not jaded and having more energy. I really think that. People at a young age should get involved in activism as soon as possible. <laughs> it was fun being a leader in that. I was going to UCSB at the time. I was getting married. I was running another organization about industrial hemp and the benefits of it. It was, it was a lot to take on, but doing the work with Get Oil Out or goo, as it's commonly known, <laughs> um, really fed my soul and gave me a real purpose. 
I changed our motto to Goo Can, Get Oil Out, Clean Alternatives Now, and really brought it back to the grassroots activism and got a lot of students from the universities involved. And it, it was also really a thrill. Like I would walk into a boardroom or some big meeting where it would just be all these heads of oil companies. And then I'd come into the room and you could just see them be like, oh, no, Hannah's here. <laughs> That's right, guys. I'm here to give you a hard time. I don't like what you're doing. And so it just also was so positive working on the solutions, educating people about industrial hemp, about permaculture, about all the different ways that we could be living our life to ease our dependency on fossil fuels. Fantastic. Now, so how has that shaped the way that you've gotten involved yourself in other environmental causes since then? Well, I've always seen the power of media to try to educate and encourage people to get involved, really to just inspire them to action. And when I was growing up at Hollister Ranch as a young kid, I got real into photography with that intent. How can I capture the beauty of nature so that people will want to do something about it? And so as president of Goo, I really brushed up on my media skills. I did a lot of interviews, a lot of writing, press conferences, hosted large events, really did a lot to hone in on my public speaking skills and try to develop methods for just swallowing my fear and try to turn that anxiety into a, a power tool for me instead. <laughs> and, and just different ways to communicate to different people, to meet them where they're at, show how something is affecting them, show them a better alternative, and then how they can get involved in that alternative. And that's really kind of what I see my work now with Permaculture Magazine is doing. It's like, here's the problem, here's the solution, here's how you can be part of it. And so it's um, those earlier years, I mean, now, just a little bit over 20 years later, I'm still doing the same kind of work, but just in a different vein. And, and it's great to be focused more on the solutions than the fighting. Absolutely. Now, stepping back just a second, I wanted to understand a little bit more about how Get Oil Out was classified as the first grassroots organization and how you sort of nurtured the response from local communities in order to uh, get support and to uh, increase your resources and your, your clout through those mm -hmm. avenues. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's actually a very interesting history. Uh, there were other environmental organizations, obviously, in America, Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, lo lots of environmental groups, but none that per se were classified as real grassroots environmental organizations. <clears throat> and, and what's so, the distinction in that classification? Just really being there to encourage people to take action. 
and to take action themselves and to do more than just signing a letter or sending in money to the organization, but to take to the streets, to call up their representatives, to do whatever it takes to get the mission done and also to do it in more of yeah, people-powered grassroots efforts rather than send us your money and we're going to pay our president of our organization to go speak on your behalf. It's like, no, you guys get your asses down here and speak up and and be a stronger (laughs) voice, you know? Absolutely. And so January 28th of 1969 in the Santa Barbara Channel, there was a platform that had a large blowout. And spewed millions of gallons of crude oil into the channel. Excuse me. And as soon as people saw it, they were like, oh, my God, we we have to take action. And Bud Bottoms was working at the newspaper at the time. He got the calls hearing this was coming in. He's like, oh, my God, we have to get oil out. And people did. They took to the streets. They... um, they they did for the first time a lot of real hands-on action. I mean, this was in 69. This is when people were protesting Vietnam War. This was right all, also around a time when um, there was a large trash barge, I think, in New York that caught fire. There was a few other key environmental disasters during that year that just really made people be like, oh, my God look at what we're doing to the environment. We cannot do this anymore. And so Nixon, President Nixon, came out to visit Santa Barbara to see it. Of course, they covered all the oil up with hay and it looked like there wasn't a big deal. But the pressure from the people in Santa Barbara, as well as when this got on the news, this is kind of when TV was first really showing news stories on TV to this effect. So people saw these images of dolphins, of whales, of birds, of seals, of all these animals dying from the oil. It really struck people's heart chords. And so that next year, we saw the passage of the Endangered Species Act, the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, 1970 hosted the first Earth Day. It really jump-started what we call the modern environmental movement because of this empowerment to the people. And so Gu's efforts in giving people clever ways to participate and then the encouragement and then the sort of like the, the family, the camaraderie, the, the, the knowing that you're not alone in all of this, I think really made a difference. And so we we really saw some of our strongest environmental laws that have been in play now for, you know, over 45 years and now are greatly threatened again with the current administration. And so once again, we're seeing the importance of people taking grassroots actions and speaking up for what they believe in and now it's perhaps more important than ever as we see the threat to these important laws. I very much agree. And I really like what you said back there about 
uh, empowerment and creativity being some of the things that really bring people together and, and create that camaraderie that uh, sort of incentivizes people to get off their couch and take action to participate in whatever little steps that they can. Yeah. Now, I know that you've also um, for a short time had an organization called Spreading Solutions that uh, was an event and media production company based around environmental efforts. Could you tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you produced through there? Yeah, did a, a short film about the oil spill um, for the 40th anniversary of it as a encouragement piece aimed mostly at university students to show them really what what people could do at any age and the importance of it. I also helped produce various different events, including permaculture convergences and permaculture design courses and a few other short films. Really, it was just kind of my catch-all umbrella as a solopreneur, something to try to 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 get my feet more wet in media production, I started to produce a podcast under it. Um, never took it to full production mode, though, <laughs> because I got sidetracked by the magazine. But um, really, it was just, you know, the, the name said it all to me. What is my core mission? It's to spread solutions. It's to share these real concepts with people. And so I continued to do a lot of education work still around industrial hemp and the many benefits around cannabis and letting people know about the health and environmental aspects there, as well as just kind of being a, a linchpin to help start other conscious companies. And um, it, it got pretty derailed when I lost my home and office in a forest fire here in Santa Barbara and was uninsured and not really able to pick up the pieces very well afterwards to replace my equipment and uh, get going down the path that I was on. And so, you know, life always throws unexpected wrenches. And that was a big one in my life that I'm still eight years later <laughs> recovering from. But um, my mission to spread solutions still holds true. And so I'd like to see if that ever comes back into a creation that is helping to uh, to get more projects out there. Wow, that is a remarkable and courageous story. I'm sorry to hear about your home, but I'm very impressed at all the incredible work that you've done since then. And I think that's a good transition now to talk about uh, the Permaculture Magazine. I know that the anniversary of Permaculture Magazine North America just um, came up in the 1st of June. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, could you tell me a little about how you and your colleague Katie or sorry, Cassie Langstrat created mm -hmm. the North American version of the popular UK original? Yeah. So, I met both Cassie and Maddie and Tim Harland, the owners and creators of Permaculture Magazine. Um met them all down at Permaculture Voices 2 in San Diego a few years ago. And Cassie and I became instant good friends. 
And then I stayed in touch with Maddie and Tim as they returned to England with hopes of getting my podcast on their website. And then when I went over for the International Permaculture Convergence in England in September of 2015, I was hanging out with them and they're like, well, we've been looking for somebody for several years to start the North American version, to start our first offshoot. And we'd like to see if you and Cassie would be interested in it. So it was it was like, whoa, okay, let me um, think about this. I emailed Cassie. We discussed it. it. We realized what an amazing opportunity it was and um, convinced ourselves that we could do it <laughs> and that it was worth the risk. And so we went for it and put together the business arrangements. We're kind of a, a pseudo franchise of them with a, a deal that, works well enough for both of us. We took over their distribution. So we started in over a thousand stores throughout North America with a well-loved and well-recognized name, just adding on the North America part. And it's been an amazing ride. Maddie and Tim are kind of like our English parents and work closely they review the stories and give us their input and see what else we should add or this or that we talk to them a lot about business strategy and how we can work together to to just strengthen the permaculture movement in general that's really the basis of our work how can we educate people how can we tell the stories that are happening around the world how can we make this a much stronger movement so that all involved are are better taken care of, better fed, so that everybody's mission is more successful. Of course. And I think that's coming at a really important time in modern history, getting this information out even further. Now, as editor and creative director for the Permaculture Magazine of North America, you have your finger on the pulse of the innovations and changes in the permaculture and regenerative lifestyle world. What have been some of the most important changes that you've observed since starting the magazine a year ago? Hmm. Damn good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, yeah, I have my pulse, my finger on the pulse of the movement, but really also kind of in my own bubble of <laughs> trying to work with all these different articles and. I'm in contact daily with people really around the world, even though North America is our territory of people from Latin American countries, Africa, especially, you know, all over um, that are working on amazing projects. What I would see, I think, uh, of perhaps the most important Let's go down two paths. First, um, permaculture and regenerative ag's ability to help with climate change. And we have a number of different articles and topics looking at that specifically in this next issue that will be out September 1st, including an interview with two of the editors from Drawdown which is the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming using mostly regenerative ag practices. And so this book that was put together by Paul Hawken is 
an amazing resource to really look at the potential of what we can do and how just changing our farming practices are so important, changing our consumer habits, changing our attitude also to realize, wow, something can be done, but we've got to jump in full force now and stop the pollution, stop the laws that are being reversed that protect our air quality and um, really put into play a lot of the solutions either in our backyard or large scale. And so really I think as climate change becomes such an immediate topic around the world as its effects are really starting to show in in devastating ways to give people a hope that there is something that we can do to hopefully put it at stay and even start to reverse it. Um, To me that, that that's one of the most exciting things. And then the other path I would go down for that answer is um, the work that we're trying to spotlight around social permaculture. And a lot of people, especially in the bubble within America, see the permaculture movement as a rich, white, predominantly male movement. And I would just say to all those people, well, step out of your bubble and look at all the other people that are really doing this, not only around the world, but also here in our country. And I've got some really interesting interviews in our next issue looking at Sean, who's called the Sioux Chef, that um, is Lakota Sioux. And so he's working with permaculture and um, the native plants from his area to really bring back the cultural foods of the area, as well as to bring this to the attention of people, no matter where they're living. Okay, what did the natives eat? What were the native foods there? How can you incorporate them into your diet? And he has a great cookbook that we're going to have some recipes from called The Sous Chef. And just really exciting things that then he really draws it around to the cultural and the social side and how native people and the indigenous people of this country were so, what's the adjective I want to put in, you know, suppress. So fill in the blank. There's so many adjectives you could put in there. There's so many, you know, but, but just having their food and their cultural torn from them and so many people living off handouts of the government of low quality, poor health canned food. And so diabetes and heart disease and all of these issues are rampant in these communities. And so to use our sustainable ag practices to heal the health, to bring back more of that cultural connection, it just really is empowering and shows the closeness to food and to cultures. And I also have an interview with Malik out of Detroit and the amazing work he's doing there with the African-American community who's basically going through the same thing, you know, torn from their land, 
torn from their culture, separated from their food history, and once again now living mostly off handouts and welfare and in food deserts. And so the work he's doing to empower people, especially young people, to learn gardening, to provide healthy food for them. He's opening a cafe and soon a supermarket in areas where there's just there's no decent food. And once again, like the health effects and the cultural and the really the spiritual effects that it takes on people feeling disassociated from their past, from their people, from their food. The, you know, I, I believe it's Jeff Lawton that has the famous quote, all the world's problems can be solved in the garden. And the deeper I go with the social permaculture, the more I really believe that. And so it's, it's a really exciting thing that I'm seeing in the movement throughout North America. And so I hope that Permaculture Magazine North America can continue to help shed light on that and, again, inspire people to bring these lessons into their own homes and gardens and communities. Fantastic. I'm really glad that you brought that up, just how diverse and uh, varied the people who participate in regenerative ag and in permaculture and so many of these other um, both grassroots and sort of mainstream efforts that are attempting to bring real lasting solutions that sustain themselves and even go on to spread and uh, improve their communities and improve the environment uh, are you know, much, much further beyond just the demographics that sometimes get associated with permaculture. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like in all things, the people with the loudest voices get recognized the most. And it's the humble, quiet ones that are just busy doing their work and not busy making a name for themselves those are the people to me that are the real movement. And it's, it's kind of time to, to bring more grassroots to the permaculture movement and, and to help raise up the people whose voices have not been heard and to share their stories. And, and yeah, that's one of the main reasons I'm here. And I really invite people, if they have their stories they want to share or if they have conscious business that they'd like to help promote, um, anything, any feedback, any articles or questions that you would like to see, you know, please be in touch. Um, you can even just email me directly at hannah at permaculturemag.org. And that's hannah, H-A-N-N-A-H, at permaculturemag.org. Because, yeah, we're here to be a resource and um, help, help grow the solutions. Fantastic. And I want to echo that as well. I mean, this podcast is really geared towards helping people find a voice for their projects and their efforts that are working towards a regenerative future. So if anybody wants to reach out to me as well, um, the information will be at the end of this episode. But I'm, I'm very glad that they have a platform uh, both here and with your magazine to, to help get their voices heard. Yeah, you know, and I want to say, Oliver, how excited I am to be collaborating with you and 
having Permaculture Magazine North America come on as a sponsor of your podcast and really looking forward to seeing how how we can work together more as a team to spread this to even more people. And so uh, good things to come. Thank you. And, and likewise, I'm a huge fan of what you do with the magazine, uh, the voices that you promote, the information that you help to get out to the larger community. I mean, this is everything that I aspire to be. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm more than honored to have you guys on and to be working with you as well. So. Oh, thank you. So, what are some of the goals that you have for the magazine moving forward into year two? This is an exciting time. Oh, gosh. Really good question. <laughs> question I need to ask myself more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just want to, um, to take it to the next level. It's really been primarily Cassie and myself. And then our amazing graphic designer, Lisa Berry of Wish Media, comes on to help with the graphic design. And we have a small team to help with the proofreading. And again, Maddie and Tim. But it's been extremely overwhelming with just Cassie and myself. <laughs> and, um, I can imagine. Yeah. Good so, on you both. It's, a, it's no thanks. small task putting out a publication like that. And you do really well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's like, gosh, if we had had any idea, would we still do it? Yes, we would, because we're (laughs) for the movement, for getting out the messages, you know, for for the earth. That's why I'm doing all of this. And that's why I want to work harder even in year two to reach more people. And so uh, personal goals for me is to build up the business more so that we could hopefully hire some other people and some other help soon or even just bring on some more volunteers or interns that can really help to take us to another level, bring on more conscious companies for advertising so that we can not only help create a change in how people consume and what products they consume, but also to uh, help keep us funded and printed, (laughs) but um, to really expand and keep keep the voices that have not been heard, giving them a platform. And I want to bring this out to more people. I I hope to use our one-year anniversary as a media campaign. And, you know, my my goal is to get on The Daily Show. I want to get on Bill Maher and some of these shows where we can reach people that would be very interested if they only knew about permaculture. And I think the time is ripe for opening up the door to invite more people in and so I hope that the magazine can do that we're we'll also this summer be launching our Latin American section on our website so that we have stories in both Spanish and English to really be a a platform to share the amazing knowledge and practice that's coming out of both Mexico and then all the countries south and um fantastic also, i'll follow that really closely yeah please and, and let me know of any stories that you know that should be highlighted and oh i could throw a ton your way already some of the organizations <laughs> that i work with here are doing fantastic work and, and could definitely use the exposure of, yeah. of being written about yeah I, I i'm really excited to do that like when i was in cuba in november i was just so amazed at how beyond willing 
the people were the farmers who learned a new technique. They just wanted to share it with all their fellow farmers and, and get it out there. And so I think in North America or, you know, at least in America, we, we tend to live in our silos and our bubbles and think that everything is how we see it just around our little area. And, and there's so much more. And so taking the holistic approach to life that permaculture offers, I, I hope that we extend that beyond and, and really realize that we're all citizens of this planet. And um, the more we can do to help it, the more we do to help ourselves. So I guess that's my goal for year two. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least you keep your ambitions pretty low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice and in check. No, that's fantastic. I, I think that's really well said. Now, I want to get to two questions that I just want your personal opinion on here. Now, as someone who has worked for um, environmental advocacy groups and taken on an activist role since the very beginning, what advice would you have to other people who are pushing to advance uh, an environmental or social goal towards a better future based on what you've learned about what's been effective in, in your own experience? Mm, all right. Oh, you know, the main thing that comes to mind and it is to, to not burn out. To, to reach out to others, to to see who else is working on similar things, to not see them as competition, but to see how you can collaborate to make as strong bonds as possible while still holding your piece of the puzzle. Um, that's the, you know, what I learned from doing goo. I needed to bring on more help for the the core of it so that I could keep sustaining myself. And I think that's where we're at with the magazine also. And so I'm giving that advice to myself right now, you know, really collaborate rather than burn out. And also to, to, to keep the big picture in mind. And if you ever do start to burn out or, or get, you know, asking yourself, why are you doing this? Why are you working so hard to remember the the greater good of it all and, and what started driving you down that path in the first place and to stay creative and, and know that staying positive and working on the solutions is the best thing that can be done right now and that there's so much that needs to be done. And so if everybody plays their part, we can really see big global change. That's fantastic advice. Now, before I let you go here, I would love to get your opinion as well on what inspires you most about the potential for regenerative human interaction with the environment especially as we move forward into a pretty challenging future? God, you know, just every time I step into nature, I my soul is so fed. I was just house-sitting where there was a quote written on the wall by Carl Jung, and it's, the natural world is the soil that feeds the soul. And to just every time I step into nature and feel that energy that that feeds my soul, 
like this is why I'm doing it. And for the animals, for the other inhabitants of this planet, um, you know, we, we kind of reworked the uh, three core ethics and the way we present them to care for the planet, care for its inhabitants, and care for the future. And so for me, that that's kind of the main thing. But the potential, the dream of the future that I hold, that I try to fall asleep to at night, that I try to wake up to in the morning, is, yeah, where everybody sees all other inhabitants of this planet as fellow beings kind of fellow cells that are making up Gaia and the more we can just get along and help each other the more beneficial it is the whole capitalism competition extractionary model that we've lived our lives under just doesn't work and we're seeing the effects of that now and so to try to go to the opposite end of the spectrum and love each other and help support each other. It just could make a, a more utopian world than we can even imagine. And while we may not get there in our lifetime, working towards that vision is so important. That's why with Spreading Solutions, I was working on creating positive media Let's not do another movie about Armageddon. Let's do a movie about what if we shifted? What if we went towards the positive end? How would that look? And so that's what we try to do with the magazine is give people visions of how things can be by spotlighting stories that are already happening. And so um, that's my long-winded answer. That's brilliant. I think that answer will resonate with a lot of people, especially in the permaculture community. And I commend you for the work that you've already done and that you and Cassie have done through the magazine. Um, before I let you go, can you just reiterate how people can get in touch with you, especially if they want to help to contribute to the magazine or find uh, other resources that uh, the magazine puts out? Yeah. Um, well, we've got a lot of upcoming events that we are helping to promote, including the next international permaculture convergence that's going to be in India the end of this November really encourage people to check that out the ipcindia.org but you can find links to that and lots of other fabulous events throughout North America at our website permaculturemag.org and that's also where you can subscribe and if you get the print subscription as an added bonus, you get the 25-year archive of our parent magazine in a digital form. So it's just an extreme wealth of knowledge. And so that's going to be available through this next year as a, a special bonus to early subscribers. And then I know you're going to put in your show notes a, a discount code for our digital subscription for people who are either out of the country or just don't want to deal with paper. Of course, uh, yeah. You know, that's that's a whole thing, too. It is eco-friendly paper, but still. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's what plays for me, because unfortunately, I don't have an address here in Guatemala. They don't have a central uh, yeah. mail system. So that's been the option that I've gone through. Um, and yeah. it's a very generous uh, discount for people who are looking to go that route. 
Yeah, and we also put a whole variety of different articles for free on our website, and that's where we'll host the bilingual section for free. And so, um, and we have classifieds and course listings and just such a wealth of knowledge that I, I really encourage people to check back regularly on our website. And then, yes, if you're interested in submitting a story or have any questions or advertising or a classified or course listing you want to do, you can send that in either to submissions at permaculturemag.org or directly to me at hannah at permaculturemag.org. And that's Hannah the palindrome. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of ways to educate yourself, to keep involved. Let me know your thoughts, your concerns, your questions. How can we move through this interesting phase together to create a better future? You know, the work with Get Oil Out from so long ago that they did in 69, I, I think is really good lessons for where we're at today. And to know that coming together in a grassroots model, we can change the world. And that's what permaculture is about. So. Absolutely. Thank you so much for those words of inspiration and everything that you've contributed today and through the magazine. Hannah, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. I hope we can do this again soon. Excellent. I look forward to it. And thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. You have a great rest of your day. Take care. You too. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services that we offer, from design and consulting to education and workshops. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Right now, you can get a discount code for 50% off on your digital subscription to the incredible Permaculture Magazine of North America, simply by finding the code under the show notes of this episode. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again on next week's session.